What is up, Substance? Make some noise wherever you are at. You did it. You made it to church. And of course, uh, we just want to welcome all the churches that join us from all over the place. Hey, it is such an honor to be able to dive into God's word together. If we haven't met yet, I'm Pastor Peter Haas. And of course, uh, uh, just here, it was kind of a big weekend for me this last weekend because many of you guys know that uh, my oldest daughter, my firstborn, got married this last weekend. In fact, here's a little picture of, of us after the ceremony. It was, uh, it's pretty crazy to, uh, you know, see my family growing. My wife got the greatest Mother's Day gift of all, and it was one less daughter to take care of. <laughs> now, she loves, she, she's like, that's not a funny joke, Peter. That's not a funny joke. No, you thought I was going to say a new son-in-law, which, yeah, we got that too. Actually, we, we I, like, I honestly, I love and adore Caden. He's, he's my new son, and of course, actually, my, my oldest, Elijah and Caden, are both coming on staff to serve all of you guys, so you're going to get to know them a little bit more, really fun people, but thank you all for praying for me, and uh, it's fun to be a part of a family that, uh, uh, to be a, a part of a legacy, and I, I really believe that uh, even, if, even if you don't have that within your family, I believe that your church family is, is God is a part of God's legacy for you. And, and I, I, I want to talk about that a little bit more with a powerful lesson out of Exodus chapter 15. And so if you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Exodus 15. We'll have the verses over here. Uh, you know, over the last two months, my wife and I have really been um, going through the book of Exodus with my son. And uh, man, no matter how many times I read this book, there's something new in it. It's like layer upon layer upon layer of wow, and I never saw that before. And, and of course, there's this really interesting story that happens after the Red Sea incident. And if you're newer to church and you're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, okay, in the Old Testament, basically, uh, when everything was getting messed up around planet Earth, God basically says, I'm going to create a nation for myself. I'm going to pull that nation out of Egypt. I'm going to so bless them so thoroughly that every nation on the earth is like, what in the world is going on with that nation? Why are they so exceedingly blessed? And they will say, because of our God and the laws that he's given to us, okay? And then through that, the entire world would be blessed. That was kind of the idea uh, with the Israelites. So, of course, they needed to learn how to serve this God. They needed to learn how to interact with this God. And so, of course, God, but first, God had to send Moses to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And Pharaoh kept refusing. He literally had a God complex and was like, nope, I'm not going to do it. And then God sent the plagues. And then finally, you know, to, to prove he's once and for all almighty God, he splits the Red Sea and the Israelites crossed over the Red Sea. And, of course, what, what's interesting about that um, archaeologically is the exact location where King Solomon uh, believed that they crossed. He actually put pillars, one of which is there to this day at the Red Sea. And if you actually, uh, there's a whole bunch of scuba divers and, and archaeologists that have actually looked, and they found gilded chariot wheels on the floor of the Red Sea, one of which dates back to that exact time period. Okay, so, which is kind of cool. It's really just interesting to dive into this stuff. But the context of this Red Sea crossing matters because the story we're about to read happens right after 
that story of the parting of the Red Sea, okay, where the miracle occurred, okay? So, uh, so if, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Exodus. If not, I'll have it up here on my fancy screen here. And we're going to read Exodus 15, 22. I'm just going to go through the story, the, the basics of it, because right after the Red Sea, Red sea, then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days, they traveled into the desert without finding water. Okay, so there's kind of a, a little mini crisis going on here. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That's why the place is called Marah. Marah is a Hebrew word that means bitter. Okay, so, um, so they called it bitter. And uh, so the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a piece of wood he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. So God did this miracle. God's like, hey, throw that piece of wood. Now, we don't know, you know, really the significance of the piece of wood. I, maybe there's some Bible scholar out here today. Well, the wood was this form of a, you know, I don't know, maybe. Uh, in my mind, it's just like an act of faith. God was just saying, hey, flex your faith muscle. I want you to do this symbolically. And then, okay, so the water became sweet, literally fresh, okay, so drinkable, there the Lord made a decree and a law for them. There he tested them. He said, if you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. In other words, if you're wanting to know if I'm for you, I am for you. I'm trying to, basically God is revealing his character. This is kind of like, hey, you're new to this. I get it. God's like, I'm showing you how to activate your faith and follow me, okay? So he's differentiating himself from the gods of the Egyptians. Then, it says, then they came to Elam where, we, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. So if you're wondering if they found fresh water, yes, they did, and they found a lot of it, okay? So... Basically, though, in this story, here's the gist. They came to Mara, and then they went to Elam. Mara, a place of bitterness, to Elam, a place with surplus, really with a lot of freshness. Okay, now, on the surface, this story is kind of a simple story where God was just retraining them how to trust him teaching them, this is how I want you to behave as my people, and this is what you can expect from me as your God. Unfortunately, the Israelites keep failing the test. Now, keep in mind, God's goal was not to bring them to a bitter place. It was to bring them to a miracle place, okay? The only reason why it was called Mara was after the fact, because they didn't trust him. In other words, Mara was the result of distrust. It should have been, really, it should have been a miracle place. Actually, it should have been called the sweet place uh, in Hebrew, yimtiku. It, it, it means sweet water instead of bitter water, mara. It really, what, what's interesting about the Greek word uh, or about the, the Hebrew word yimtiku is it actually means, it, it's, a, it's a, uh, a double meaning. It's a figure of speech for intimacy. It, mean, it means becoming tight-knit. So it doesn't mean merely fresh water, but it means becoming tight-knit. I, I think, actually, God wanted it to be called sweet water. He wanted this to be a place where they bonded with him before he brought them to Elam, where, where he wanted them to be able to say, wow, it was bitter, and then God all of a sudden whips out a miracle. How cool is that, God? You shouldn't have. 
Aw, shucks. I mean, you parted the Red Sea, and then you went above and beyond and did a miracle. I mean, it was actually meant to be like, a, I love this, God. Let's get closer. You know what I'm saying? And instead, it was the exact opposite. You brought us here, Moses, and this God. Like, you know, it turned into this weird, bitter, awful yuck. Okay, now, I, I think that's kind of interesting because, you know, again, God wanted it to actually be a miracle, and and then after the miracle, it says, then, everybody say then. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees. Now, uh, whenever you see a number like 12, 7, or 10 in Scripture, there are certain numbers that are God's favorite numbers. Everybody, you know, it's kind of like the old, what's your favorite color? Does God have a favorite color? I don't know, probably green or probably brown, right, because the whole world is, you know, that's kind of depressing actually. But he does have a favorite number, and I can assure you that, and that favorite number is seven. Seven is the number of perfection and completion. That's why Sabbath days is the seventh. You, you get, you know, God created the world in, you know, seven days, right? And that seventh, he rested seven. In fact, uh, in the Old Testament, they actually would count in sevens. Like we count in tens and decades. They would count in sevens. You see, this was the number of completions. And whenever you see a seven or like, you know, 12 is also a, a popular number, you know, the 12 tribes, the 12 disciples, okay? So you'll see these, whenever you see these numbers, you always have to pay attention because there's a double meaning. And, and so really by, by saying 70 palm trees, it was saying like the perfect amount, more than the perfect amount. And not only was there fresh water, but there were 12 springs. Now, why is that relevant? Because there were 12 tribes. In other words, every tribe gets it's its own spring. Every kid gets its own room. All of you, you get a car, you get a car. Everybody gets one for themselves. You know what I'm saying? There's more than enough. Elam is the place of more than enough. It is a place of completion. Everybody gets what they need, okay? So now, that, that's the story. Mara bitter to a place of completion. Now, I don't believe that God leads us to bitter places. I think he leads us to miracle places. And the only reason why they become bitter is because of our response to it. And come on, I think we've all been here at some point in our lives. In fact, actually, when I look back on most of the moments in my life where I feel bitterness, where those moments where I have struggles, most of those moments probably were moments where I could have experienced a miracle from God, but instead of experiencing a miracle, instead of crying out to God like Moses, I was complaining to God like the people. Instead of humbling, I was grumbling. Come on, you've been there too, right? You've experienced this. And, and even then, even in the story, God was still so graceful that he still worked a miracle because of one man's faith, Moses, and he brought him to Elam, a place of completion. And so, you know, the story's there for a reason. Whenever you read a story in the Bible, it's always relevant to ask the simple question, God, why did you put this in your book and what do you want me to learn from it? Because ultimately, I think God is still asking the question, how do you handle Mara? Or let me put it a different way. When you stumble upon bitter moments in your life, how do you respond? 
And that's a question I think every Christian has to learn how to deal with. Everybody imagines themselves to be mature until all of a sudden life throws you a curveball. You go through a major medical diagnosis, a grieving process, an identity crisis. And then all of a sudden, that's actually when you find out what your faith really, really looks like. Because let's be honest, what is faith unless it is tested faith? We all can have, we all can give mental, you know, ascription to an ideology until all of a sudden life shakes us and then people are like, where are you, God? You know, like whatever is in your life, you're like a bucket and, you, you know, when you get kicked, you'll spill what you're full of. Well, some of us, there's not that much faith in that bucket. A lot of us, it's more doubt, it's more cynicism. And so when life kicks us, what do we spill, right? I mean, simplest way to find out kind of how you would deal with Amara season in your life is, well, simply ask the question, what are the areas of bitterness in your life right now, and how are you currently responding to those things? For example, okay, when, when bitter things happen to our nation, do we cry out to politicians or do we cry out to God? I think that's one indicator. I think that a lot of people, maybe they're not quite as mature as, or as biblical as maybe we like to think, right? When bitter things happening, happen in our lives, do we grumble or do we humble? You know what I'm saying? Do we humble ourselves? Because here's the truth. God is still testing all of us for promotion, not because he's cruel, not because he's mean, but because testing is the only way to know if we have the character to sustain the weight of his blessings. Like a lot of people fail to realize that every new level of blessing uh, requires a new level of character. Does that make sense? God knows that if he always gives us what we wanted, it would actually destroy us. For many of us, our windfalls ironically become our downfalls. That's why, like in Broken Escalators, I go through all the research on 70%. 70% of people that win the lottery go bankrupt after they win the lottery. Think about that. Why? Because if you were smart with money, you wouldn't be playing the lottery in the first place. You get the idea. You see, it's a, like... There's a stewardship issue going on in our lives in the first place. I, I think a lot of times, if, if God, God's up in heaven saying, oh, loved one, I want to give you that. But actually, if I gave that to you, you would bow down and worship it. It would cause you to self-destruct. If I gave you that promotion, you would hate your life. I think a lot of times... We don't even know what we need or want or what would make us happy. That's why I always say, don't pray for promotion, pray for promotability, okay? That may sound like semantics, but actually, it's actually a healthier way to live your life because ultimately, you can control yourself, right? You can't control the whole universe, so why don't you just let God be God and you do what you can do and work on yourself. Be promotable and trust promotion to the Lord. Don't pray for money. Pray for stewardship worthy of money. God's already up in heaven saying, loved one, if I gave you more, you'd just squander it more. You know what I'm saying? Pray for stewardship worthy of more. Don't pray for a spouse. Pray for character worthy of a spouse. God's up in heaven saying, I don't want to trust my princess to you. You know who you are. God loves you enough to say, yeah, you don't want to be on my bad side by treating my princess poorly. You know what I'm saying? I, I think a lot of times... We're up, we're down here thinking, well, I don't even know if God wants to bless me. No, the truth is God already wants to bless you. He longs to bless you. He longs to bring you to Elam, to a place of completion. In fact, God has a place in mind that's even better than Elam. Elam is just a little vacation rest stop before the promised land, people. And if you're wondering if he has an even better place than Elam, he does. But listen, 
He can never bring you there if you do not even know him enough to turn bitter places into sweet places. That's actually the ultimate test that God is gonna call all of us through. And, and the good thing about God is he loves us enough where he doesn't flunk us, we just take the test again. And so some of you, you're like, oh, but I'm so sick of being in the wilderness. Guess what? You can control that. You actually have the ability to fast forward things by learning how to trust God. And here's the, the ultimate lesson that we need to learn is how do we trust God to turn bitter into sweet? How do we allow God to take maybe a bitter marriage or family situation, a bitter job situation, a bitter financial situation, and let him work his miracles in those areas and turn it into something sweet. I'm telling you, when you can learn how to stick close to God in those moments, that's one of the most powerful lessons because all of a sudden God can trust you with crazy stuff. I'm just saying, not just Elam, but promised land living. Because here's what happens over time. I, I've noticed in my own personal life, I watch God turn so many bitter moments into sweet ones that I can tell you, I almost get excited when things get sour. Notice I said the word almost, okay? Let's not get carried away here, okay? Uh, you know, I'm not that spiritual. But I, I, at the very least, here's what I've noticed in my life. The more miracles that I've seen of God, instead of wasting all my time asking why, which is a very toxic question sometimes in bitter seasons, I, I ask a more functional question. I, I ask the question, where is the faith solution, right? Like, what's the wood? What's the faith step that I need to throw into this, right? Or, or, or for what divine purpose are you preparing me for, okay? Why can be sometimes a rabbit hole that you just never can dig your way out of, but for what purpose are you preparing me, Lord, is something much more profound. Why? Because here's one thing I know for sure. God always has purpose in our pain. He never wastes pain. He's always working things around for the good of those who love him, Romans 8, 28. And so even better, when I'm at Mara, here's what I know. I know, hey, I'm close to Elam. And so listen, if you're in a bitter season right now, just, hey, take heart. It's not permanent. Whatever you're going through, I can assure you it is temporary as long as the almighty God is your God. Elam is right around the corner, and don't think for a second that his blessings are even gonna stop at Elam. He's got so much prepped for you, but do you know how to flex that faith muscle? And so let me just share a couple moments where God has called me to flex my faith muscle, and I think it's gonna encourage you that maybe you're not so alone in this season if you're experiencing a bitter season. I remember, uh, I remember a couple years ago, um, our church was getting ready to do a heart for the house offering. For those of you who are maybe newer to substance or maybe you don't go to substance, uh, we always do a heart for the house offering in uh, May and November. And, and it's not just an offering, it's kind of our way of onboarding all of our new people into the vision uh, of substance. And, and then we usually do, like what I'll do is I'll, I'll share the vision, all the cool things that we're doing around the world. And then uh, we do an offering where you guys can kind of determine how fast we do it. So it's kind of like a fast forward offering for our campuses, for our outreaches, things like that. But I uh, usually before I'll do these offerings, what I'll do is I'll, I'll share a big church update on how everything is going in the church. It's kind of like a state of the church report. And of course, this one year I was prepping for it. And I was trying to figure out, you know, like, how are we doing as a church? And I'm looking at all of our church goals. What did I say six months ago? And what did I say 12 months ago? And, of course, I looked at the goals from the six months and the 12 months. And, of course, we hadn't reached a single one of them. And I'm like, what the heck? This is awful. Like, 
Like, how am I supposed to go and stand before the people and say, oh, yeah, not only did we not reach any of our goals from six months ago, but, oh, yeah, 12, we're basically, I'm a loser. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, want, I didn't know what to say. Like, I, I was kind of, like, depressed. I'm like, I, really, to put it another way, it was kind of like a Mara moment for me. Like, what the heck is going on in our church? You know, like, you, know, you can only blame things on COVID so much, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, at some point, you just got to be like, okay, God, what's the deal? Why are we here? Why is the water bitter, so to speak, right? It was kind of that moment I'm the leader, and I'm thinking, mm, you know, like, what's going to happen, God? I, I just, like, how am I supposed to stand before the people and give everybody the update and then somehow cast vision for where we're going? It's just like, mm. I, I just, it was awkward, right? It was an awkward moment, and of course, you know, like, you know, I, I was thinking, so like this year, our Heart for the House offering is totally different because, you know, like, we have so much super fun stuff. I mean, all these people gave their lives to Christ at Easter. We're growing. This year is really fun, right? Because, like, this year is, like, the year we're going to be, like, you know, let's launch the West Side building, and let's let's go east, too, you know, let's go south, what the heck, you know, like, all the cardinal directions. Let's campus for you, a campus for you. This is that kind of year we're in, right, this year, but, like, you know, that year it was different, right? This year is, it's super fun, right? I, at our May 1st Wednesday service, just a quick side note, at our May 1st Wednesday service, I share all the fun updates, and if you're curious, if you miss that, please, 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 if you go to Substance, make sure you listen to our May 1st Wednesday service, because we're actually going to be launching a half dozen more Northtown campuses just like this all over the Twin Cities, and, uh, and it's going to be so fun. We're upgrading all of our kids' spaces. We're putting a, a restaurant downtown, Northtown, West Side, so that even when, you know, families are coming in midweek, there's a place they can eat, their new kids can play in our new playland, all these types of things. And so make sure you listen to our, our May 1st Wednesday. Super fun, exciting stuff going on here at Substance. But uh, coming back to my story, a few years back when I was prepping for this, it was, it was the exact opposite of now, right? It was like a non-fun season to be leader. We were, you know, in some ways, metaphorically, I'd led our church to this bitter pool. And actually, God had kind of led us there. And I'm like, what's up, the, what's up with this, Lord? And how am I supposed to go before the church in a year like this one? And in that moment, I just kept getting this nudge from the Holy Spirit. Peter, don't focus on what you can do. Focus on what I can do. Don't focus on your current, present, circumstantial realities. Focus on how I can change reality. That's what you got to talk about, okay? Don't talk about Mara, your bitter. Focus on your miracle, what I am capable of doing, because, hey, how many of you know if God wants to change bitter to sweet, he can do it like this? I've watched him do it so many times. We've watched so many people get a miracle. In fact, not a month goes by at Substance where we don't see an undeniable miracle. Now, does everybody at Substance get what they want? No, okay? Sometimes God does a really unique thing and he takes us on a really unique journey. But over time, as you look back at your life, you're gonna see the hand of God. And I, I just, you know, I, I felt like the Lord was like, Peter, if I want to expand your church, I can do it, even in a non-fun season. And, and of course, you know what, looking back, what, what actually ended up happening in that season, as I look back on it, that heart for the house offering, that season ended up being so beautiful because like everybody rose up and was generous in that time. I mean, people came out of the woodwork to cause all of our ministries to expand and God created momentum out of, the, out, of the, out of a low moment. And it was almost funny to watch how God was doing it. And, and it happened not because everything was great, but because everyone had faith 
and God showed up and responded. It really, we all became a close-knit community. We became Yimtaku. We became Sweetwater, a fresh place, a fresh church to actually be a part of because everybody had faith in that moment. And of course, you know, I, I, I always tell people, just quick side note, as long as I'm talking about Heart for the House, um, you'll, you'll see those little booklets on your, your chairs. If, I, I encourage you to read through those. If you're a part of Substance, if you're newer, it's just a cool way to, to acclimate to all the amazing things. We, we do so many cool ministries here that most people don't even know about. Uh, but listen, here, no matter where, what church you go to, if, the, if that church has blessed you, if this church has blessed you, then just pray about how God could have you pay it forward. It's that simple. Because really, all it takes is one person like Moses to exercise their faith, and boom, Everyone gets blessed. Are you hearing me, church? All it takes is one person, even in our bitter moments, learn how to flex that faith muscle. But how? Well, here's one way I do it. I do it by meditating on promises like this. Okay, so people ask me, what is, what is one of the most important spiritual disciplines that you can learn? And it's this. It's learning how to find promises in God's word and meditating on them. Meditation is the process of converting heart knowledge head knowledge into heart knowledge, okay? It's, it's the process of taking Bible verses and converting it into spirit fuel. I think a lot of us, we know the Bible, but it, we haven't converted it into spirit fuel. Well, how do you convert knowledge into spirit fuel? By meditating. It means, it means take a verse like this and just chew on every word. Memorize it, internalize it, pray it, because this is the facts right here, church. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. If you're wondering if he's up in heaven today and he's like, mm, that little punk. No, he's gracious. He's compassionate. He's slow to anger. If you're wondering if he's impatient, no. It's, he's slow to anger. He's rich in love. If you're, he's not just, he doesn't just have love that he can ration out to you. He's rich in it. You have a rich father who is rich in love. The Lord is good to all the Bible says. He has compassion on all he has made. If you're out there and you're like, yeah, but you don't know what I did last week. Listen, you don't know who God is. He is compassionate. All you got to do is call on him. Listen, when you internalize a truth like this, you know what starts to happen? It changes you. Suddenly, the bitter moments in your life, could, you're like, maybe this God is willing to do a miracle for me. You know what I'm saying? I'm telling you, church, if you could just allow truths like that to sink into your soul, some of you, you know what's gonna happen? You're gonna experience the God of miracles rather than the grieving of Mara. And some of you, the reason why you're experiencing bitterness in your life is because you haven't converted head knowledge into heart knowledge. You haven't converted insight, truth, into spirit fuel, and as a result, you're missing out on the miracle moment that is actually designed to pull you deeper into God. And some of you, that's actually why you stopped going to church is because you had a bad moment and, and you, you felt incompatible with God. Listen, God actually wants that to be a moment that pulls you closer because here's ultimately what God is doing in your life. God wants to promote you, but again, you, you've got to learn how to flex that faith muscle. If God just dumped promotion into your lap, if he just answered every last little one of your prayers that you prayed out there, if God just brought you straight to Elam, you wouldn't even appreciate it anyway, and eventually, you'd still have the same problem. You'd probably find a way to turn Elam into bitter. You know what I'm saying? Because why? That's what human nature does. 
And so as one last example of this, let me, let me just share one last story that I think exemplifies what God wants us to learn, how he wants us to flex that faith muscle even when we come upon Mara moments, bitter moments. I, many of you guys know I, I, I kind of um, obsess over church history, mainly because I, I love to see how, how Christians figured it out and got miracles in the past. I love studying uh, historical miracles. And of course, back in the 1700s in England, there was this movement called the Methodists, started by a, a guy by the name of uh, John Wesley. Uh, many of you guys know that our downtown campus is called Historic Wesley because it used to be a Methodist church like 130 years ago. Um, they named it after John Wesley because uh, they finished its construction 100 years to the minute after his death. And, um, and so it's got, you know, there's kind of a namesake, a legacy there that we get to experience. And, and keep in mind, in those days, though, in the 1700s, uh, dignified Christians did not go to Methodist churches, okay? If you, if you went to 1700s England and you asked them about Methodist churches, uh, they would have said, oh, you mean those spooky churches where they do weird contemporary worship? You know what I'm saying, right? Like, these were not traditional churches. They, they actually, Methodist churches were known for very, very practical preaching. Anglican churches, on the other hand, the Church of England, that's where the wealthy, dignified politicians go, okay? And they get philosophical sermons, and, you know, they don't even necessarily have organs in some of them, but again, it's not, it's the antithesis of emotionalism, the antithesis of, 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 of anything, you know, really practical in some ways. That's why a lot of people were stopping going to church. In fact, most people, uh, it was one of the fastest uh, times where England was swinging away from Christianity. And so it, it was kind of an interesting season there. It was very rare for wealthy or politically elite pe people to affiliate with the Methodists, okay? I just wanted to clarify that. But there was one wealthy woman, though, who was not afraid to associate with the Methodists. She was a spitfire by the name of Lady Huntington. And uh, I, I don't know if any of you guys have ever watched Downton Abbey, but if you're a Downton Abbey fan, uh, like just imagine the Dowager Countess and you probably have a good idea of what Lady Huntington was like, okay? So she was a, she was a wealthy aristocrat. She was friends with royalty. She was friends with famous actors, famous influencers. And yet, she was a passionate Christian. She was not afraid to speak her mind. She was not afraid to risk her reputation. And she could happily, history shows us that she could happily enjoy a good dip of chewing tobacco, <laughs> which was not very ladylike in those days. Okay, so you kind of, I'm just kind of giving you a little character sketch of who she was. She's just this sassy, aristocratic lady who's a passionate believer. And uh, of course, you know, despite her amazing wealth, she ended up going through a lot of serious hardships. She had some real Mara moments in her life. When she was 39 years old, her husband, who was the love of her life, she adored her husband, but when she turned 39, her husband tragically suddenly died of a stroke, and it just devastated the family, and as if that wasn't bad. I mean, she had four young kids at the time, and she's like, how am I supposed to do this? And then to make matters worse, all of a sudden, smallpox came through the area, and uh, she ended up losing two of her sons to smallpox. And again, in those days, losing a son could have a significant economic impact upon your life, but losing two sons and your husband, I mean, this was a, this was a life-altering nightmare. This was every mom's nightmare in those days. 
And yet she had a choice to make. This is a Mara moment. Is, she gonna tr is this going to be a miracle moment or is this going to be a Mara moment? And she decided, you know what? I believe that my God can do miracles. And instead of growing distant from God, she grew closer to God more so than ever before. In fact, the meaningless meaninglessness of her wealth and, and her earthly success became more clear than ever before. She realized the only reason why I got wealth is so that I could give it away for the purpose of God. And all of a sudden, she got this crazy idea in that low moment of her life. You know what? I want to do more than ever. More than ever, I want to give my life to the gospel. I want to I figure out a way to advance the cause of the gospel. And so what she did was she decided, I want to use my wealth to hire an army of preachers to transform the church. And so she was always looking for these young, upstart Methodist preachers who could captivate people that she could basically hire on her home staff, okay? So she basically is gonna be a patron of pastors. And so she found this young dude, 29-year-old guy named George Whitfield. He just, he, he was really magical when he preached. He could just kind of entrance the audiences wherever you go. And so she became friends with this young guy named George. And and so in the midst of all this, uh, she, she went up to her old friend George and she said, by the time George was in his 30s, young 30s, he's like, George, how about this? What if I threw a party? Would you come and preach at my party? And of course, George was like, well, what kind of party is it? Well, she was like, well, I've got all these friends in parliament that I would love to invite over to my house, all these lords and ladies that I know. And I thought, you know, in the moment I get those people, then I can get the writers, I can get the actors and that whole bunch. What if I invited them all over to like a big party at my place and then you came and you just preached to them? And, and, and George was like, okay, I, I see what you're doing here, but uh, you know, Lady Huntington, I'm not gonna back away from the gospel. I'm gonna preach it. Okay, you probably didn't say it like that, but you get the idea. Like, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to hold anything back, okay? I'm going to preach the full gospel. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about all of it. And she's like, oh, I'm not asking you to, you know, you know, censor yourself. You just go for it, okay? That's the whole point is to bring these people in and influence them with the gospel, get them infected with the kingdom. And he's like, all right, let's do it. And so sure enough, she invited all of her friends. And get this, I mean, like, it, like wouldn't you know, the Prince of Wales showed up at this party along with the half-sister of the king. And of course, you know, Whitfield is kind of like, oh man, here we go. And he preached it. And get this, they were mesmerized by him. I mean, this even shocked, Whit Whitfield didn't even expect this, but even the Prince of Wales was like, Lady Huntington, that was awesome. How about we do it again? Except I'll invite more friends and you invite Whitfield back and we'll do this again. And, and Whitfield was like, holy cow, what just happened? Like all, because all these people started giving their lives to Christ that were aristocrats and parliamentarians and lords and ladies and actors and writers and influencers. And, and they were all like, what is going on? In fact, a lot of historians actually would say that this was the moment, this little partnership between Lady Huntington and Whitfield was the moment where everything shifted in England because all these educated elite started flooding into this new model of church called the Methodist. Now, well, of course, just like you would expect in any move of God, the moment, you know, God starts to move, guess what? The devil starts to move in opposition. Of course, a lot of people hated the fact that Whitfield ever talked about sin. I mean, how dare you tell people that the stove is hot? Let me just touch it for myself. Ouch, I like this. You know what I'm saying? You know, I actually, you know what I'm talking about. I, I, I think people were just offended that he would talk about sin, and of course, 
uh, people were so upset that Whitfield would dare speak about sin, unlike the Anglicans, where just, it's just all feel good all the time. You know, people started organizing protests. In fact, actually, even more than that, they're like, let's not just protest, let's whip rocks at him. Everywhere Whitfield goes, let's pick rocks and get eggs and get dirt, and let's recruit people to start whipping it at him when he did it. And sure enough, that's what started happening. It was like, literally started like riots almost everywhere he went to preach. It, it, then people would rise up with protests. In fact, two guys even plotted to kill Whitfield in his own bedroom. How's that for opposition? And the same thing started happening to Lady Huntington. She started going through similar hardships. Her youngest son, a 15-year-old, right, one of her remaining sons, a 15-year-old was suddenly stricken with blindness. And then three years later, he mysteriously died at 18 years old. I mean, if you looked at Lady Huntington's life through an earthly filter, I'm just going to be honest, you could probably get depressed really quick because, get this, she ended up burying five of her seven children when all was said and done. I mean, think about that. I mean, talk about hardship after hardship after hardship after hardship. If there was ever a person who could have sat and sulked and said, why God, why me, why this, why now? If there's ever a person who could have justified falling down that rabbit hole, it it would have been Lady Huntington. And yet, neither Whitfield nor Lady Huntington were about to back away from the gospel. Why? Because they were masters at seeing God turn Mara into miracles. In fact, that's when they decided to go all in. And that's where the story all of a sudden gets really crazy. Because get this, Lady Huntington, she had this vision in her heart, like what if we started building a whole new type of church? Like as the Methodist church was a movement was just now forming, she was like, well, what if we started building churches of the future? What if I took my wealth and we started constructing churches that were actually attractional for once. You have to understand, in those days, the church had zero creature comforts. I mean, you have to understand, like most Anglican churches, they didn't even have bathrooms, okay? I mean, I'm talking like basic things. They don't have bathrooms. They don't have kids' ministry. They certainly don't have air conditioning, people. You know what I'm saying? Like, there, there's, I mean, there's no creature comforts whatsoever. And so Lady Huntington was of this, this idea of like, what if we as Christians actually gave a rip about the practical needs of Christians and even built churches that might even appeal to non-Christians. Because in those days, people were like, the church is irrelevant. They don't, the church, Christians don't care at all about my needs. Why should I care about the church? So Lady Huntington was like, what if we built churches that, that, that would actually have some wow factor to them? And of course, surprisingly, so she, she decided to start thinking about these innovative church buildings. Well, not surprisingly, guess who attacked her this time? Christians. Christians were like, oh my gosh, Lady Huntington, your building ideas, they're so extravagant. Why don't you just give more money to the poor? And of course she knew, well, here's why. I'm all, first off, I'm already giving money to the poor, but for every one decent church I build, guess what? That decent church will actually start a hundred new ministries to the poor. Actually, every time I plant a church, I'm planting hundreds of these ministries, but if I just keep funneling it into these ministries, They have nowhere to go. I mean, at the end of the day, what good is a ministry if half the churches in England are awful and nobody wants to go to them? At some point, we gotta start with the foundations. The the church is the hope of the world. And if we don't have decent churches that actually care about people, then my goodness, what are we doing? And so 
Basically, she became essentially a general contractor for hundreds of churches. I mean, you wanna talk about a lady taking on, you know, frying up the bacon, you know what I'm saying? I'm just, you wanna talk about a lady taking on a man's job? I mean, she did it, I love this lady. She just like, she became a general contractor and, a, and the chief fundraiser and the, I mean, really she became a church planter for Methodist churches all across England, hiring preachers, building their churches, getting them structured. And in the meantime, she started sending out Whitfield to the American colonies because there was a lot more interest in America in those days in God than there was in UK. And of course, Whitfield preached so many sermons throughout the 13 colonies. One historian even went as far as to arguing that four out of five uh, Americans heard a Whitfield message in that season. Four out of five. That's how much of a national celebrity he was in the United States. That's how much he altered Christianity. He was one of the most famous preachers in those days. And get this, so, so uh, Whitfield died before Lady Huntington, but by the time Lady Huntington died, she had overseen the construction of over 116 Methodist buildings that she personally funded, 116. And these were cutting edge churches that ended up changing England. In fact, Whitfield was so impressed by her management skills that when he died, guess what? He left all of his money to Lady Whitfield and said, clearly, this is a woman who is the greatest investor I've ever seen, the greatest steward. And she's not a man, she's a woman. And, uh, and by the time they died, get this, their ministry partnership resulted in over 10 million people giving their lives to Christ. 10 million. In fact, I think it's fair to say that our historic Wesley building in downtown Minneapolis wouldn't exist if it wasn't for this dynamic mom, this dynamic widow, Lady Huntington, that gave it all in the midst of her Mara moments. You know, history shows us Ben Franklin, the, the American Ben Franklin, uh, he wrote letters to Whitfield and he was impacted by Whitfield. Whit, I mean, Whitfield was an international celebrity I think it's interesting that an international celebrity gave all of his money to a widow simply because she knew how to turn bitter into sweet. What if you were so good at turning bitter into sweet that some of you had the same experience? What if there were non-Christians out there who literally would just will it all to you because they know there's something about you, there's something about the way that you turn, that you allow God into your life, into your circumstances. And I, I'm just telling you, I believe that that's what God wants to do in all of our lives. He wants, to, he wants to actually put us on display in front of our coworkers that even when we go through bitter Mara moments, somehow it turns into a miracle. And I know that that can be kind of difficult to even just figure out how to surrender to God in the midst of difficulty. But I wanna call you to that because I, I even think about my own life when I, if somebody would have asked me back in like 2010, what's every negative thing that could happen to you? Well, guess what? All of those things happened to me in the consequent decade. And you know what? It wasn't that bad. God did a miracle in, in almost all of those things. And even the ones where he didn't do what I wanted, he somehow worked it around for my benefit. And I, I just... I think about that in my life and it builds my faith and I believe that God wants to do the same, not just in your life, but in your family's life. And so just right here today, I don't know what circumstances you're in, but I do believe that if you would just take whatever little bit of faith you got and you put it in the hands of the Lord, I believe that he's gonna do something special. And so could we end here and just do business with God? Father, you see every circumstance here, you see, uh, 
You see, especially those of us who are maybe, we're camping at Mara right now. We've just got difficulty in our lives. Maybe it's bitterness in our physical bodies, our families, our finances, our, 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 our jobs, our, our, our future is uncertain. But God, we serve a, a God of promises, a God who's loving, who's compassionate, who's abounding in love to all who call on him. And I pray that every single person here would call on you and experience a higher level of promotion than they're currently experiencing. And, and, and church, if you're agreeing with what I'm praying, then just why don't we all just give our lives back to the Lord right here, right now, by just repeating this after me. Just say this. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me, renew me, and lead me, starting today and for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name name we pray. Amen. Amen. From Mara to miracles. That's his plan. With all that said, we're going to have our campus pastors come on up and tell us where we're going to go next. Love you guys.